Hello and welcome to episode number 54 of AV's Ripping Wax Packs podcast coming to you from Searcy, Arkansas. I'm your host, Aaron Vaughn. This is the show where we rip open a random wax pack every week and discuss that year and brand a card along with the players in the pack that we open. Along the way, we'll shout out some of your comments as listeners, sometimes discuss nostalgic stories about cards or players that come to mind, and spread the pure joy that is ripping open wax packs. Also, as always, we'll have a Kurt Facts segment about facts from the previous episode. Um, You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, and wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, New episodes drop every Thursday. Our Twitter handle is at Ripping Wax Packs. Our email is rippingwaxpacks at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is Ripping Wax Packs. And on YouTube, just type in AV's Ripping Wax Packs to see the portion of the podcast where we rip open the wax pack from the podcast. We're always looking to promote veterans' charities. Please contact us through any one of the outlets I just mentioned. We'd be happy to discuss a partnership to help veterans and their families in any way that we can. Um, Thanks for all the support. Um, Just a little promo for uh, CV's Tend to Check Out podcast. Um, CV's Tend to Check Out podcast is sharing the joy of music in hopes of bringing back old memories or helping listeners discover unfamiliar artists, bands, or songs that they might want to look to further to into the future along the way, helping veterans when we can. The premise is that Curtis, uh, my brother, researches 10 songs and we play clips of each song and I really relay that information about them um, researched by him and maybe some of my comments here and there. And we hope that this generates comments from the listener uh, to us. And we could talk about those comments on the next episode. Episode one is out now. Check it out. This happens each month. All right. Um, we will today. We'll, we will be discussing 1991 Fleer. That was the pack that we pulled from the random rip box. Um, in this uh, <clears throat> set, there are not any notable rookies. There are a lot of Hall of Famers. Um, and there's a lot of inserts in there and uh, cards like that. So we'll we be that we'll be looking for. Uh, again, thanks for the support, and um, we'll get into the description of 1991 Fleer right after our segment called Kurt Facts. Kurt Facts. Kurt Facts. Kurt Facts. Here they go from episode number 53, 1988 score. There's a lot of good ones in here. I was reading it a little bit ago, and I always appreciate Kurt looking up the Kurt facts from the last episodes. From some of them, or from the cards that are pulled, or maybe some um, somebody that I talked about in the episode, or something like that. Just whatever comes to Kurt's mind and what he researches. So, from episode 53, 1988 score number one, Vince Coleman was pulled, and I can remember when our cousin Kevin was young, and I would vi- come visit. I would show him my cards. And would find a Vince Coleman and say how much he looked like Coleman and how Kevin was just as fast. And Kevin would get so mad at him for that. People might not be surprised to hear that Coleman is the all-time stolen base holder at his college, Florida A&M. But they may be surprised to know that he was also an all-conference kicker and punter for the Florida A&M football team. He almost went pro in football but decided to stick with baseball when he was drafted in the 10th round by the St. Louis Coleman stole 110 bases in his rookie year. He was a unanimous selection for Rookie of the Year uh, of 1985, which is still the third most stolen bases in Major League Baseball single season behind uh, Ricky Henderson and Lou Brock. 
He's the only player to steal 100 or more bases in his first three major league seasons or three seasons in a row, period. He's the last player to steal 100 in a season. His career stolen base percentage is 80.9%, and he is sixth all-time in stolen bases and also holds the record for most stolen bases without being caught, which is 50. Dang, that's amazing. His career was cut short by injuries and clashes with coaches and teammates as he was known as a difficult player to get along with. Dang, I didn't realize those numbers that he had. Number two, Barry Larkin. He was pulled and was a, was a Hall of Fame shortstop who you correctly pointed out won the NL MVP in 1995. He was the first shortstop to, to do so since Maury Wills did it in 1962 while with the Reds. While with the Reds. He also helped the Reds win the 1990 World Series. Folks might be surprised to learn that he went to the University of Michigan. We don't like to say the M because we're Buckeye fans from Ohio. <laughs> uh, on a full ride scholarship before switching to baseball only after his freshman year. Um, a stat that I think is cool about him because when I played, I prided myself in not striking out much was that in 1988, he struck out only 24 times in 588 bats. Imagine that in today's game where strikeouts, can they run rampant and no one seems to care. He was also the first shortstop to join the 30-30 club in 19, when in 1996 he hit 33 homers and stole 36 bases. He, he finished his career with a 295 average, 2,340 hits, 198 homers, 960 ribbies, and 379 stolen bases, which is 90th all-time. Wow, what a career by Barry Larkin from close to where we were from. And we were Indians fans, but we also kind of watched what the Reds did. <clears throat> and remember, this is Kurt talking when I say I. Uh, number three, Joe Necro was pulled, and I remember him having a nasty knuckleball and also being the brother of a Hall of Fame member, uh, Phil Necro. Listeners may be surprised to know that he finished with his 22 major league, 22 major league year, 22 year major league career with over 200 wins and 1,700 Ks. Easy for me to say. As I was researching him, I discovered that he was born in Eastern Ohio in Martin's Ferry. He was known for scuffing the ball while pitching, and I remember a game where the umps came to the mound and asked him to empty his pockets, and so he reached in and, and pulled his hands out fast and threw them and threw them up in the air like he had nothing to hide but a nail file and sandpaper went flying up in the air behind him. Maybe a little less known fact is that he and his brother combined to win 539 games, which is the most by a pair of brothers. Also, he only hit one homer in nine, his 973 lifetime at-bats, and it was off his brother, Phil. Wow, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Number four, Glenn Davis is another player um, you pulled in your pack. And I, I wondered the same thing about him, as you mentioned. He was a stud for a while, but what happened? I remember him being in the running for the NL, NL MVP several times in the late 80s. Um, and it turns out that he finished in the top 10 of the NL MVP balloting three times during the 80s. Yet he only had a nine-year major league career, finishing with 190 homers, 603 ribbies, and a 259 average. After doing really well with the Astros in the 80s, he was traded to the Orioles in which, the, in which Baltimore gave up three future All-Stars for Davis, Steve Finley, who had over 2,500 career hits and over 300 career homers, Pete Harnish, Kurt Schilling, or Pete Harnish and Kurt Schilling, and Kurt Schilling had over 200 career wins and three, over 3,000 career strikeouts, which is 15th all-time. And before he even played a game for the Orioles, he suffered a neck injury that basically derailed his career 
as he was never the same after that. This trade is still considered to be the worst trade ever by the Orioles. Yeah, sounds like it. Number five, Tony Gwynn was pulled. Oh man, Tony, he's the man. Tony Gwynn was pulled and he's the greatest pure header that I got to actually witness play for a whole career. I got to see George Brett and Rod Crew too, but they started in the 70s when I wasn't old enough to pay as much attention. I watched Gwynn play his whole Hall of Fame career for one team, which doesn't ever happen much due to free agency anymore. And that made me love him even more. I remember several times reading about how he accepted less money to stay with the Padres, which was a small market team, and he could have broken the bank on the free agent market. I always hoped someone from my team in Cleveland would do the same, but it never happened as a star after star left Cleveland the first chance in free agency that they got. He was one of my favorite players of all time, and I tried to model my hitting after him because I didn't have a lot of power, so I just tried to put the ball in play, hit in the clutch, hit for a high average, and not strike out much, and that's exactly how Gwynn was. In 20 seasons, he won eight NL batting titles, listen to these, which is tied for the most ever. He never hit below 309 in a full season in his career. We get excited now if a guy is hitting 239. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? He was a 15-time All-Star who won five gold gloves in the outfield and won seven Silver Slugger awards. In the strike-shortened season of 1994, he was hitting 394 when play stopped. He was the last to challenge the 400 barrier. If he had not had four straight injury-riddled seasons from 90 to 93 and then two ending his career in 2000 and 2001, many believe he could have challenged the 4,000-hit barrier. Listeners might be surprised to know that he, in college, and uh, he went to San Diego State, he played baseball but also started on the basketball team, and his scholarship was actually for basketball at point guard and led them to the March Madness a couple of times. Um, he's talking about me. Uh, Curtis here. You and I, along with our cousins, would play baseball in our backyard with the tennis ball, and we would narrow the field since we didn't have many fielders. This encouraged us to hit the ball up the middle or or the opposite way, and I actually got that idea from Gwen when I read it in an article in, in Sports Illustrated about um, how he learned to hit up the middle and opposite field. We always, we also played sockball in the basement, and I got that idea from the same article when he said that he and his brother played baseball in their house with a sock that they could make curve and move in weird ways to teach themselves to hit breaking pitches. <laughs> I remember those things like it was yesterday, Kurt. That's amazing. Sockball is so fun. Um, in his 20-season career, he never struck out more than 40 times in a season with eight seasons of fewer than 20 Ks, uh, ending his career as the hardest modern player to strike out, striking out one time in every 30 at-bats. That is unheard of. That That is the most amazing stat right there. I'm also getting emotional about thinking about us playing sockball and, and stuff. Um, so many good memories there. Tony's career batting average with runners in scoring position was 349, showing how clutch he was. Sadly, he got cancer and died in his 50s and was candid in saying that he never should have started using tobacco, which led to his cancer and death. Still, he finished his career with a 338 average, which is 22nd all-time, 1,383 runs scored, 101st all-time, 3,141 hits, 20th all-time, 543 doubles, 36th all-time, 85 triples, 135 homers, and 1,138 ribbies, 193rd all-time, and 319 stolen bases. What a career. Tony Gwynn. That, he, he was just an amazing baller. Again, Curtis, so thankful for the uh, effort that you put in um, to research Kurt Fax. Appreciate that, sir. All right, let's get into the 1991 
Fleer um, wax pack here. We're talking about 1991 Fleer. Um, the 1991 Fleer was a 720-card set that was dubbed by many as the Yellow Monster. So if you look on YouTube today and you see the cards, they're just... Some people think they're hideous. They hate these cards. They're yellow with a little black on them. Um, but when you see them, you may be like, oh, this is horrible. I actually kind of like it. It's so different. But I understand why people think they're hideous. But um, I think maybe that's kind of why I like it. It's just so different. Um, so it's called the Yellow Monster, uh, and I, I kind of call it the Big Bird set because it's so yellow. And it was the largest Fleer baseball set at the time, you know, hence the Yellow Monster. As with most junk era wax products, um, junk wax era products, this set was grossly overproduced as an estimated 3 million copies of each card were printed. So this was right in the middle of that junk wax era again. Um, there were no notable rookies in this uh, set, so rookie cards in the set. So we're going to look for some Hall of Famers. We'll look for some, um, there's some ProVision cards, some All-Stars. And we're going to be looking some of those, looking for some of those insert cards that they may have in this pack, in this set. Um, the distribution of 1990 Fleer in the wax box, there were 36 packs per box, 14 cards plus one team logo sticker per pack. Love those stickers. They were on everything I had as a kid growing up. Uh, 50 cents per pack, 20 boxes per case. The jumbos were 24 packs per box, 30 cards uh, plus three team logo stickers per pack. Which were, these were 99 cents. There were 12 boxes per case. Um, 24 packs per box in the racks, rack packs, boxes. 42 cards plus three team logo stickers per pack. Those were 149 a pack, and they were three back boxes, boxes per case. Super Jumbo. Packs had 24 packs per box, 53 cards in the pack, plus four team logo stickers per pack, and they were priced at $199 um, per, per jumbo pack, I guess. And then there were factory sets, and there were 15 sets per case. Um, a little note on this one has here where I look on the internet. Um, 1991 Fleer would be the final year wax packs were wrapped in melted wax paper. Also, solo packs were replaced with thin sealed plastic poly wrappers and renamed jumbo and super jumbo packs. So, so here in a minute, we'll get to the, um, opening the wax pack on YouTube. So check that out on YouTube here in a minute. Um, but just a little bit about Buzzsprout. We use Buzzsprout and it's amazing. Um, you could start with some gear that you already have. If you want to start a podcast and just find a quiet space like we did and if you want to upgrade, Buzzsprout has tons of guides to help you find the right equipment at the right price. Buzzsprout gets your show listed in every major podcast platform. Uh, podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners like Buzzsprout. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, and tools to promote your episodes and a lot more. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed and join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. And if you follow the link in our show notes, it lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you and it gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And this helps support our show. So try Buzzsprout. Back on YouTube here with our 1991 Fleer baseball wax pack here. So if you're on YouTube, you can see that it's red. 
Um, it's got Flare 91 in blue and then baseball in yellow. And you're going to see that the cards are so yellow. Um, hence the yellow monster set here. And it was the biggest set to date. So you got uh, Flare 91 baseball logo, stickers and trading cards, collect Flare Pro Visions, sports art. 14 cards and one sticker. So let's get to that right after we find out who won this wax pack, the cards in it, along with some other wax packs that I'll send to you. To this week's winner is Ryan Quinn, episode 54. Ryan Quinn, congratulations, Ryan. Thanks for your um, support. All right, here we go. Let's open it up. Well, last year of the actual melted wax paper on for Fleer here. All right, so... We got our team logo sticker, California Angels. Pretty cool. And it shows on the back of it, uh, top tens and batting average, home run, ERA, and wins for um, players on the, uh, looks like for players on the uh, Angels. All right. Here we go. Here's our yellow cards. Check them out. Look at that card. I don't know. Some people... Just don't like it, but I kind of like it. It's just kind of simple, but that yellow, man, you'd know it anywhere. Can't forget 1991 Fleer. So they have the yellow border, as you can see on the top. There's two black lines going across with the name. Uh, the first name's smaller than the last name. This one's Dwayne Henry. In the bottom right corner, we have Fleer 91. And then the middle at the bottom, another couple black lines with the name of the team and the position that they play. This guy's a pitcher. And then on the back, we have all of their minor league and major league stats, it looks like, with just a little bit about them um, and their height and weight and all that good stuff. And their name, and then another picture on the back in color. At this point, I think most of them were having, most, most cards would probably have a, if they had a picture on the back, it would be in color at this point, I think. So if you don't, if, if I'm not right, you can um, email in or tweet in or whatever and let me know. Next card, Howard Johnson, old Hojo. He had some good years, I remember. He was on the Mets when they won the World Series. Jerry Reed. Next, Brady Anderson. Man, he had one year where he hit like 50 homers. And I, probably because of steroids, I'm not sure. I don't want to say that he did, but I'm. it would say... 50 home runs after not hitting more than whatever, 15 or 20, but or the ball was juiced. Maybe Kurt will find out about that for us. But he was a good player too. Trevor Wilson. Randy Varis, I think. Burt Blylevin. Burt B. Home Blylevin. Blylevin, that's a Chris Berman saying for his name. Burt B. Home Blylevin. Blylevin. Next, oh man, my favorite player at the time. Love this guy, Bo Jackson. Man, that guy was going to be a perennial all-star. Just that when he hurt his hip playing football, just derailed his career. But he had some awesome, um, he had some awesome highlights and some good years. Just it was too cut too short. A little bit uh, also on the back. If they have enough room for a little more information about him, I noticed on his card under the stats they also have a little bit about highlights of his career. Bo Jackson, man, that brings back some good memories. He was fun to watch in football and baseball. Jeff Robinson. Jack McDowell. I think he played in a he played in some type of um, rock band. Kurt, figure that out, bro. Jason Grimsley. 
Luis Gonzalez. I think, if I'm correct, I think that he has triplets. Like, we have triplet daughters. Um, three awesome boys, too. We have triplet daughters, and um, I think Luis Gonzalez had triplets, I think. Could be wrong. Benito Santiago. Man, he has some cards that look like my brother Curtis a little bit. Dave Lapointe. And Terry Leach. Man, that Bo Jackson card so cool. Brings back so many memories. So there's the Yellow Monster Pack. And uh, Ryan Quinn, you'll be getting those cards plus some wax packs. So be looking for those in the mail. Um, and uh, that's our pack. So if you watch this, let us know if you thought the 1991 Fleer cards, the, that yellow is hideous or you kind of like it. Let us know or whatever in between. All right, let's go back and finish up the podcast. All right, thanks for listening today. We really appreciate it. <clears throat> Remember, you can contact us in the following ways. Our Twitter handle is at Ripping Wax Packs. Our email is rippingwaxpacks at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is Ripping Wax Packs. And on YouTube, just type in AV's Ripping Wax Packs to see the part of the podcast where we rip open the pack for the podcast. We're always looking to promote veterans' charities. Um, don't forget to check out CV's 10 to Check Out podcast. Uh, it's a little podcast that was um, created by Curtis and I. And um, there is one episode out, so check that out. Um, this has been AV's Ripping Wax Packs podcast. This is Aaron Vaughn. Thank you for tuning in. Have fun, be safe, love one another, and keep God first in your life. Have a good one.